Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Hey, good morning and welcome to Silverdale. My name's Maddie. If we've not had a chance to meet before and I serve as a part of the team here on our Bonnie Oaks campus and we are, if you've been around, you know that we are working our way through a series called Victory in Chaos that will lead us all the way through Easter weekend and this weekend specifically is the third weekend in a series of messages that we have titled PG, PG 13. So here's what that means to you. That if you have a kiddo in the room with you, they are more than welcome to stick around. But we're going to have some adult conversation in here this morning. So if you're not quite ready to have some of those conversations with your kids yet, now would be a really great time to stand up, kind of take them on outside. We've got our guest services team through the atrium who would love to help you get to our kids' ministry. But if you are ready to have those conversations with your kids, then we're praying for you. And more power to you. I'm going to call you when I'm about to have those conversations with my kiddos. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for me. 1 Corinthians 7. It's got 30 verses that are packed full of biblical and practical wisdom that address a variety of issues, but also a variety of people in different stages and seasons of their life. But this morning, for our sake, we're just going to look at the first 17 verses. So what I want us to do together is we're going to read all of those together. So again, if you've got your Bible, you can follow along. It'll be on the TV if you don't. But we're going to read all 17 verses, and then we're going to come back and kind of unpack those a little and talk through those together. All right? So follow along with me. It says this. Now, for the matters that you wrote about, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband. 
But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you'll save your husband? Well, how do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife? Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule that I lay down in all of the churches. So if you're taking notes this morning, we're going to go all the way back to verse 1 and begin working on 3. Here's, here's the first thing I want you to write down, that sex is for marriage. Sex is for marriage. If you were not here last week, our pastor gave this incredible message from 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that talks all about sex and what it is. So we're not going to have that conversation this morning, but we are going to talk about where sex should occur. Look again in verses 2 and 3. It says this, but because sexual immorality is occurring, right, that in us, because in us there is this desire for sex. There's this desire for intimacy, this connection, the love, the vulnerability that comes with sex, the feeling that comes with sex. There's this great temptation that comes with it. And that temptation can lead us to sexual immorality. So Paul says, since sexual immorality is a caring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Right, that we should have one husband and one wife and that within the confines of that relationship, we should give to one another the sexual rights and privileges that come with being married. Paul couldn't be any clearer. Sex and all things associated with it are designed to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. So here's what that implies for us that sex is not to be enjoyed outside of the context of a one woman and one man marriage. So write this down for me. Sex outside of marriage is sinful. Sex outside of marriage is sinful. Listen, the Bible isn't always black and white, but when it comes to sex outside of marriage, it could not be any clearer for us. And we know that's unpopular. I know even this morning in this room, that's unpopular to say. And I know some of us, we've got all the excuses, right? But we love each other and we're gonna get married one day. I've heard it all before time and time again, but the Bible is clear. Look at Hebrews 13, 4, it says this. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Sex outside of marriage is sinful. But here's the other thing that we know. That sex outside of marriage is selfish. Sex outside of marriage is selfish. Listen to me, those of you who are single, dating, or even engaged. If you are having sex with somebody who is not your husband or your wife, it is sin. 
no question. If you're doing other things and trying to justify it by saying, well, we're not having intercourse, it's still sin. It's not okay because he or she says that they love you. That's not love, it's selfishness. Sex outside of marriage is about what I want. It's about what I feel like I need. It's about what I desire. It's not about God. It's not about the partner. And it's certainly not about love. My love for somebody, your love for somebody, whether that is in the context of a friendship, a relationship, or family, your love for them as a Christ follower will always move them towards seeking Jesus. It'll always move them towards walking with Jesus and not away from Him. It'll it'll always move them to honor God and not disobey God. Which makes love about waiting and not wanting. At the core of who we are as people are selfish sinners saved by grace. We're always going to have to fight against our selfish desires and selfish tendencies as long as we're following Jesus. Sex outside of marriage is not about love. It's about selfishness. So if you are dating, if you're single, if you're engaged, I need you to hear me say it again. Sex outside of the context of a one man and one woman marriage is sinful and selfish no matter what society or culture or everybody else tells you. And you need to stop. And you need to repent You need to seek forgiveness and grace and mercy that is offered to you by a holy God. But then Paul says this in verse five. Let's keep reading. It says, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. If you write in notes, take this down. Sex is not an obligation. Paul says, do not deprive one another. He's saying that we shouldn't deny our spouse sex unless we both agree to it as we commit to a time of prayer. And it's at this point that everyone begins to get really uncomfortable and you start to squirm in your seats. Because husbands are trying to look at their wife and make sure she's not seeing him look at her and she's sitting in her seat thinking, you better not be looking at me. (laughs) But listen. As with any passage or verse in the Bible, context is key. Paul is saying do not deprive one another, but that, what he's not saying is that every time your spouse has an itch, you've got to scratch it. Husbands in the room, Paul's words here have context. The chapter gives context. The letter of 1 Corinthians gives context. So does the rest of the New Testament. So do the rest of Paul's words that he wrote in other places to other churches. Paul would write this to the Ephesians, that you love your wife like Christ loved the church. That means you love them unselfishly. You love them sacrificially. You love them with reckless abandon for your own self, your own wants, and your own desires. It gives it context. To put it crassly, yes, sex is a part of our marital duties, but it's not, a, it's not about you having sex every time you want it. It's not an obligation in that sense. It's about loving our wives. It's about honoring our brides, providing security, creating intimacy, creating an environment in which she feels loved 
and wanted and cared for and secure so much so that she wants to have sex with you. It's about loving your wife in such a way that creates intimacy within your relationship. Paul is not just saying you get sex anytime you want it. I know I'm speaking in generalizations here and I'm saying husbands, wives, the same applies to you. And Paul goes on and he, he, he teaches us this too, that sex is not a weapon. Sex is not a weapon. He's saying wives, that sex is not a weapon you can use to manipulate your husband into doing what you want or to stop him from doing something you don't want him to do. Sex is not something that we weaponize against our spouse. It's not something we give him when he's done the dishes and cleaned the kitchen, but refuse to give him because the grass didn't get mowed. <laughs> sex is not a weapon to manipulate our spouse. What I believe Paul is saying is that in the context of a healthy marriage, we should want to come together as husband and wife. That our marriages should be so intimate, so safe, so secure, so together that the only reason we would want to not have sex for a season is in our pursuit of God together. That we, together as husband and wife, say, let's set this time aside and let's pursue Jesus together. Let's set aside our wants and our desires and our needs in pursuit of a holy God. Now listen to me, our pastor says often that anytime you hear the word of God that it demands a response from us. So I know that for many marriages in the room, for many couples in the room, this is a hard thing to talk about. And maybe even this morning, you're already sitting in your seat thinking, man, we need to have a conversation. So really quickly, here's what I wanna give you. It's on your outline right there. I wanna give you a tool that our pastor has taught us before that can help you navigate this conversation as you head home. Pastor calls it the floor, right? And there's a speaker and a listener. It's right there on your outline. It'll be right here on the TV too. So here's what we do. We're gonna sit down together. You're gonna sit across from each other. Right, we're not gonna have ESPN on the background, husbands, right? It's not while we're doing the dishes. It's an intimate conversation. We're gonna sit across from each other. We're gonna have a conversation. And we're gonna say, hey, can we talk? And then the person who has the floor, the person who's, who's doing the speaking is gonna briefly share the issue. Wives, take note here. Don't go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Get to the point. And get to the point in a way that's not accusatory. Right, it's not you do this and you do that and you don't do and you don't do this. Right, it's I feel this. I hurt this way. I need this thing. We own it and we communicate that to our spouse. We use I need and I feel phrases. No you condemning phrases. And then husbands, initially, you're gonna be the listener or maybe it's the wives, you're gonna be the listener. And here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna focus on the message. Again, husbands, ESPN's not on the TV in the background. You're not watching a ball game, halfway listening and halfway not listening. You are looking at your spouse and you're listening. Paraphrase what you hear them say. Hey, I heard you say when I do X, you feel Y. I heard you say when this happens, this is how you feel. Clarify, paraphrase. Right, ask clarifying questions to understand. Here's what that means, fellas in the room. You're going to have to ask a question because you're not gonna understand your wife. Can we all just readily embrace that? 
you're going to need to ask questions and that's okay. Ask, hey, what, what does that mean? When you say you don't feel loved, what does it mean? Does it mean that you don't feel beautiful? Does it mean that, what does it mean? Help me understand. And we're asking the question because we really do want to understand. Here's the other thing. Don't make excuses. Don't try to justify it. Don't try to say, yeah, but if you did, just listen. Validate what you hear. And then we're gonna go back and forth in this way until we find an agreement, a resolution, until we at least gain some understanding. Now, what do you do if it starts to get heated? Right, what do you do if it, the emotions get a little tense? Right? You, you take a moment, you walk away, and you commit to coming back to the conversation later. Maybe that's, hey, let's come back in five minutes. Maybe it's 10 minutes. Maybe it's an hour. Maybe it's a week. But commit to coming back together to have the conversation. We need to work hard. We need to be committed to normalizing talking about sex in our marriage. This is our year of victory. And so many of us, when it comes to physical intimacy with our spouse, we don't feel victorious but it should be a place where we feel victorious and it can be a place we feel victorious. We've just gotta have conversations. Everybody look at me. You can exhale now. You made it through. Here's the second thing that I want you to write down is this, that singleness is a blessing and not a curse. Singleness is a blessing and not a curse. Now, this is a hard truth for many of us to grasp, not only because the desire of our hearts is often marriage, but because the supposed American dream all revolves around a perfect marriage and a, a white picket fence and two kids and a golden doodle, right? We live our lives thinking that marriage, that a spouse will bring us purpose, that they'll bring us the love and the security that we desire. But listen, before we even talk about being single, let's talk about just being a person who follows Jesus. Let's talk about just being an individual because all throughout the Bible, the person who follows Jesus and what they need is addressed over and over and over. Look at some of these verses with me. 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted to us all things. Say that with me. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Psalm 34, 9 through 10, oh fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer, they want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Luke 11, 9 through 10, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Listen to me, single person. There is nothing that you need that is not found in the person of Christ. There's nothing that any of us need that can't be found in Jesus. Contrary to what Hollywood says, nobody but Jesus completes you. 
Nobody but Jesus is going to be the knight in shining armor who sweeps you off your feet and never, ever hurts you. You don't need another person. What you need is Jesus. And that applies for those who are single, and that applies for those who are married. Stop looking at your spouse to give for you and do for you what only Jesus can. And then Paul addresses singleness. Look at this in verse 6. He says this, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as myself, but each is his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to remain single as I am. It's good, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with a passion. Paul's pretty clear, right? This isn't a command from God, but it's a concession that he's making. He would much rather that all of us were single. And he tells us a little bit later on in this chapter why. Look at verses 32 through 34. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man, he's anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, amen? And all of his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord also, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things and how to please her husband. Paul doesn't see singleness as a curse. He sees it as a gift. He sees it as a blessing. It frees you up to live out the calling that God has on your life, to live a life that's surrendered to Jesus. Let me tell you about my friend, Becky. Becky is a single mom and has served on the mission field for years in Africa. She went as a single lady. She came home as a single lady. Was that hard? You better believe it was. Have there been times probably of great frustration and great anxiety for Becky? Have there been moments where she probably wanted nothing more than to have that person to come home to? I'm sure that she did. But you know what she does have? Jesus. You know what she needs? Nothing. And you know what she's done? Is influenced hundreds of people toward Jesus because she lived her life following him. And now this little girl's world has been changed because she said yes to go as a single woman to follow Jesus wherever he would lead to put him above the American dream and has now adopted a little girl called Fatu whose life will never, ever be the same again. All because Becky decided that singleness was a blessing and not a curse. Here's the third thing I want you to write down. That marriage is not about you. Marriage is not about you. And as Paul continues, we get to what can sometimes be maybe a little confusing for us. But probably for those of us reading this this morning and for those in Corinth, it could be a really emotionally charged passage of Scripture. Let's look at this together. Verse 10 says this. To the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord, that the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, then her husband must not divorce his wife. Here's the thing that Paul is saying. Divorce is not an option. Divorce is not an option. Now, I understand that for many of us in the room, this makes us really uncomfortable. Maybe you have already been divorced. Maybe you're currently in the process of getting a divorce. Maybe you've got friends or family or loved ones who are divorced or getting divorced. Again, I understand that this is emotionally charged for us. 
But before we go any further, I also want to make one thing abundantly clear. If you are in an abusive relationship, then you need to get out and you need to get out now. That is not what God has for you. That is not a picture of marriage. That is not healthy. That is unsafe and dangerous and you need to get out and you need to do it today. I want to be clear on that. But Paul makes it crystal clear that this isn't his opinion. That it's a charge from God that if you are following Jesus, if you're a follower of Christ, that divorce is not an option. We know based on Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5, right, that there is an, an exception to this rule in the case of adultery, and that's only when the adulterer is unrepentant, unremorseful, shows no desire to change. Right? That's the one out that Jesus gives us, if you would. But Paul is reminding us that marriage is a big deal. It's a big deal because we enter into a covenant with our spouse, but we enter into a covenant with God. And Paul isn't, he's not done when he says this, look at verses 12 through 16 with me. He goes on. He says, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. And then Paul's gonna carry on. And he's gonna give us what I think is arguably one of the most hopeful and powerful passages of scripture as he speaks to married couples. He says this, God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you'll save your husband? Well, how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? How do you know? How do you know what God could do in you and through you? How do you know what God is gonna do in your marriage? How do you know how God may use you? He's saying that if you find yourself married to somebody who isn't a believer and they love you, that you gotta stick it out. Because God is gonna use you. God's at work in your marriage. Now, don't get this twisted, right? He says the unbelieving husband or the unbelieving wife. So he's not saying that your salvation saves them. But he is saying that your home will be set apart by God. That the family would receive blessings and favor from God because of the spouse who believes. That being married to a believer has a sanctifying effect on the home and all those who live there. You being married to them exposes them to the truth of the gospel, to the truth of scripture that otherwise they may not ever be. Again, verse 16, he says this, how do you know wife? How do you know husband? Whether you'll save your wife, whether you'll save your husband. Saying that as you live your life for Jesus in front of your spouse, there's hope. This hope that Jesus will work in and through you to see your spouse come to faith in him. Now listen, I grasp that it's so much easier for me to stand here and say this theoretically than it is for you to live it out practically. I get it. I get that it's hard. But we were never promised it would be easy but he gives us hope. 
that God is at work in your marriage. That we, as a church, we wanna come alongside you. If you find yourself in this place, we wanna come alongside you. We wanna put believers around you who will love you and encourage you and support you. Let me tell you about Jake and Taylor. Back in 2019, Taylor found herself in a place where she was following Jesus. She surrendered her life to following Jesus. She wanted her family to pursue and follow Jesus, but her husband, Jake, wasn't quite on the same page. See, Jake was an addict. Jake was an abusive and a cheating husband. Jake wanted nothing to do with Jesus, and in one conversation, he looked at his wife and he said, I would rather go to hell than follow him. Taylor found out that Jake was cheating. She kicked him out of the house. Jake goes to work. They have a mutual friend that they work with and this friend tells him, hey, Jake, Taylor's done. She's not coming back. Jake decides in that moment, rather than live with the consequences of his sin, he's gonna go and take his life and he drives himself to the top of a parking lot and he's fully committed to jumping. And in that moment, God intervenes. And Jake is rescued. Jake surrenders his life to following Jesus all the rest of his days. Jake goes home. Jake apologizes. Jake repents. Jake seeks forgiveness. Jake takes all the necessary steps to have a healthy and healed marriage. And now Jake and Taylor spend their days and their time investing in other marriages, pointing other people to Jesus, telling them that there is hope, that all is not lost that God still does the impossible. He is still a miracle working God and what he did in their life, he can do in your life because God's at work in your marriage. God is at work in your marriage. Now listen, to those of you who have been divorced, here's what I need you to know today, that God is not done with you that you have not committed the unforgivable sin, that there is grace, there is mercy, you have purpose. And God wants to continue to use you. He's not done with you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word today. Okay, this morning we pray for the guy or girl in the room who's sexually active with somebody who's not their husband or their wife. God, that today would be the day that you convict their hearts, that you lead them to repent, that you draw them back to yourself. Because that they would know that there is a better plan. You have better for them. You want better for them. God, for the marriage that's in chaos this morning. God, we pray that you would speak peace and clarity. God, that you would restore and redeem and bring together. God, that their marriage would be a place of holy ground, that it would be sacred, that it would be set apart, that it would be a place of victory. God, we ask that you do that this morning. God, to the single person in the room, who's struggling to find their purpose, who feels like they have been forgotten about or missed, God, would you remind them this morning that as long as they have breath in their lungs, they have purpose for you. 
and they can be used by you to influence others to Jesus. God, thank you for the truth of your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.